Prospects to Pros is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. And look, Thanksgiving's coming up. That means a long weekend with family and uh, probably means you're going to want to get out of the house at some point. So maybe you want to go cut down the Christmas tree. Maybe you're going to a Black Friday sale. Or maybe you want to go see some college football and it's a weekend full of it from Thanksgiving night with the Egg Bowl, Mississippi, Mississippi State, games all day Friday, and then some big games on Saturday uh, all the way right on through Hawaii hosting one at 12.30 in the morning Eastern time, uh, I guess the day after Thanksgiving technically. So if you want to go to any of those games that weekend or the NFL on that Sunday, head over to GameTime. The GameTime app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the GameTime app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. Welcome to another episode of the Athletics Prospects to Pros podcast. I'm Chris Burke, joined by Dame Brugler and our producer, Kent Garrison. This is our free episode of our two that we do each week. Uh, if you haven't subscribed yet to The Athletic, you can get on uh, at theathletic.com slash prospects to pros, get uh, some money off. I think it's 40% right now we're running, and you can get access to everything on The Athletic site, as well as all our podcasts, including our Thursday subscriber-only podcast where we uh, preview the weekend ahead in college football and the NFL. Uh, this Tuesday, this early week show um, is uh, when we look back on what happened over the past weekend. And unfortunately, we really don't have anything to talk about right off the top except for uh, the injury to Tua Tonga-Vailoa at Alabama. Uh, I mean, tough to watch and tough to see the kid go through that for sure. I just had surgery Monday morning. Um, and now it's kind of just wait and see how long this is going to take, I guess. Dane, so, uh, Dane, what's, uh, what's your read on, you know, sort of 48 hours out from, from that happening? I'm still a little just sick to my stomach over it. I mean, you yeah. just hate to see that. Um, aside from the fact that he's a legit number one overall candidate um and he's going to be uh you know was on trajectory to be uh, an impact nfl starter um you know you just hate it for him that's a serious injury and it's something that uh you hope that not only he can get back on the field but he can just have a normal uh, you know life ahead of him and it's not something that's going to plague him um you know we by the time he's 30 years old and he's you know it affects how you know he just operates on a day-to-day basis um he did have surgery this morning in houston so you know good news there um and he uh you know the the statement that alabama put out says that uh you know he it went excellent the prognosis is excellent um you know everything they've been saying has been positive which is what you would expect and what you hope but the truth is with this type of injury it's just it's so tough to tell because when you're dealing with a hip it's, uh, you know, everybody types different, you know, and it's a much more complicated injury and rehab process compared to an ACL or compared to some of these other injuries. It's just it's something that 
I don't care what anybody says right now. It is way too early to try and predict how this is going to affect his football future. Was it a serious injury? Absolutely. That's that's about the extent of the facts that we know. And, you know, could he be on the field, uh, you know, at this time next year? It's possible. Um, is it likely? I don't know. I, I, mean, I really don't know. And I'm not sure that the doctors who operated this morning could give you an idea be, just because it's there's so much unknown to this. Um now, how this affects his draft stock, I know, again, that feels secondary, but it is something, you know, that we need to touch on. I, I think it's fair to say that he's no longer the favorite uh, or, you know, at least a strong favorite uh, contender to be the number one overall player. Could he still go in the first round? I, yeah, I mean, it's possible. If everything, best case scenario, everything goes well. Um, yeah, I could see him still going in the first round and maybe he doesn't play as a rookie and that's fine. You know, it wouldn't be the first quarterback to take a red shirt year. Um, but again, best case scenario, everything goes great. I mean, you telling me the Patriots at the end of the first round wouldn't take a, a flyer on that and sit him behind Tom Brady for a year. And, you know, that, I mean, it would kind of work out perfectly for them, but I, I think that's all going off of, you know, him, everything going perfectly and that's just a big if at this point and there's just so many variables we just hope we get to see them on the field again obviously like we said tough to watch anyone get hurt and especially a guy that had such a bright or has such a bright future um and then to see you know some of the medical experts on twitter weighing in mentioning the bo jackson injury which you know, they, Nick Saban said this was a, a fluke thing. The hip injuries are certainly different than, you know, you don't want to belittle what guys go through coming back from ACL injuries or anything like that. But at this point, I feel like there's a decent understanding of what that rehab is going to be like and what the time frame is going to be and everything. And uh, this one sounds like it's going to be a little bit unique and a little bit different than some of those. And uh, obviously that Bo Jackson injury – basically ended his career back in 1990 or 30 years removed from that 29 years removed so certainly there have been some advances since then you hope it's uh, maybe not as serious as his was the recovery is better but again like you said we don't really know this is going to be it's this day one this is surgery just happened uh, a couple hours before we started recording and so it's going to be a long process um and I don't know. I mean, I guess, again, it's just sort of wait and see because we've been talking about him like he's going to be in this draft class and going to be a potential number one overall pick. But I mean, depending on how long this is going to take, I guess the conversation could shift to whether he should come out. Right. I mean, it's that potentially becomes part of the discussion again at some point. I, I would be shocked if we ever saw him in college again, you know, with just his injury history and everything. Um, yeah. You know, I. At this point, it's it's not even about draft position with him. It's just you know getting healthy and getting on a football field again. And um, you know I think he's he's taken enough of a beating, getting paid uh, nothing. Uh, you know I, I think he he needs to go. And I just I hope we get to see it. And I I think that Nick Saban deserves some criticism for him still being in the game at that point, saying that he needed some two minute work. Tua Tongavaloa does not need two-minute work. I mean, every quarterback could use it, but need it? No, he didn't. And look, it, Saban knows more football than I will ever know. I, there's not even a, a debate there. But him saying that he never worries about injuries, I thought was a little perplexing. I, I get it as a general rule. If you, as a football coach, if you worried about injuries, 
you'd go nuts uh, because it's just it's a violent game and injuries are part of of that um, at any level. But when you're talking about your star quarterback, you're talking about basically the key to you making the playoffs and, uh, you know, winning an SEC title. Uh, you know, I mean, that's things are a little different. He's just Tua is not a normal player. So as a general rule, I agree. You shouldn't worry about injuries. But when you're talking about your star player who is clearly gimpy, he was a game time decision on Saturday and Mississippi State, uh, they obviously were not putting up a, a, much of a fight. I mean, even on it's not like the defense, it's the offense was having no problem scoring, you know, uh, five touchdowns in, in the first uh, quarter and a half. And it's not like the the defense, Alabama defense was letting them down. Mississippi State could not move the ball at all. So uh, very perplexing why he was still in the game. Like I said, he was a, a, a game time decision to even play. They, I had no problem with him playing him. If he was cleared and he felt good, fine, get him on the field. That's great. But as soon as you jumped out to a thirty-five to seven lead, I mean, get him off, get him out of there. And I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not gonna just put blame. You know, I'm not gonna blame Saban, but you know, some of the criticism on him, I think some of it's, you know, some of it's warranted. I have a hard time with this one, and I, I'm not one that's going to uh, rush to. I don't know that Nick Saban needs anyone rushing to his defense <laughs> a lot, but um, I, I get it from the the fact that we've seen, you know, even that LSU game, the start of it, we talked about. He, Tua looked like he was still trying to get his his legs back under him. He still looked a little hobbled. Obviously, played great in the second half of that game. They started off strong uh, on Saturday. Um, I mean, for me, I think halftime sort of the cutoff, just sort of, just naturally for a lot of coaches in that spot. Halftime, maybe end of the third quarter, like that's still very early in the game to be pulling your starters. And like you said, if he's a guy that if Tua was, was cleared, if they thought he was healthy enough to be playing, I don't know. I, I really I have a tough time pinning too much blame uh, on Saban there. Um, I, like obviously in hindsight, it. It's it didn't work out um, the way anyone would have hoped it would have, but I think that that's still a spot there where I can understand why he was still in the game. I think he probably was the last drive and the last maybe couple throws he was going to make in that game, um, and then you take him out at halftime, make the switch then. So uh, again, I just I have a hard time throwing too much of it at Nick Saban's feet, just because I think it was still early in, early in the game. I mean, you you know you're probably going to win at that point. You're a top five team you're up 28 you're moving the ball at ease you trust your backup quarterback but um you know I, I guess there's always sort of in the back of football coaches minds the worry about taking the foot off the gas a little too early and so maybe um you know maybe that is the argument for Nick Saban that they just you know maybe go try and score one more time I don't really buy the idea like like you mentioned that he said a two needed work in the two minute drill like that to me is mm-hmm. that's a that's a garbage explanation. Like, I think he's fine in the two-minute drill at that point in his season and his career. We know what he can do in those moments. But um, if they are just coaching as they would any normal game and sort of said, all right, if we're up big at, you know, at the half, we'll make the switch. And maybe he hadn't planned for the contingency to get him out, start pulling guys in the second quarter. Um, I, I don't know. I just think it's tough to – it's tough to throw that on the coach um, – just knowing how randomly things can change in college football and knowing that you want your starters out there to get their work and, and make sure they're sharp. And 
Uh, it still was. If it was a third, if we were talking about the third or fourth quarter and this injury happens, then yeah, I think you really hammer Nick Saban over it in that game. But before halftime, I can understand why he wanted his starters still in that game. I'm not going to belabor the point or, you know, just try to overdo it. I mean, it's, I was scratch. I was, I was watching that game live and I was, and the broadcast was surprised Tua was still out there. I was yeah. surprised Tua was still out there. Um, you know, it's like, I, I, with Tua, it's just different rules. You know, it's just a guy that's already gimpy. He's clearly not 100%. And when you're dealing with a guy that's not 100%, he's not going to move as well. And so it's going to be harder for him to escape the rush. And this is a guy who likes to, uh, you know, uh, extend plays as much as he possibly can. Um, and so just to save him from himself, I think... I would have had a, a much quicker hook, but you know, hindsight's undefeated. Uh, it always is. And so uh, unfortunately it happened and here we are. And, you know, Joe Burrow, you're, I think unequivocal new number one uh, in terms of being the favorite to be the first quarterback and the first player drafted. Uh, the Bengals are in the driver's seat for that at still uh, winless at 0 and 10. Um, and you know, it's, Joe Burrow, I mean, who would have thought we'd be at this point here before Thanksgiving, you know, two and a half months ago, but here we are. And it's kind of crazy. Joe Burrow had another really productive uh, uh, game. He did have his first two interception game of the season. Uh, only the second time in his career he's done that. Um, but he he was, I mean, Ole Miss had no answer for Joe Burrow and at LSU offense, uh, they put up all types of uh, numbers on him. And I thought this was interesting. If you go back over the last calendar year, Joe Burrow has played 14 games. Um, so basically a full season. Over the last 14 games, Joe Burrow, 75 and a half completion percentage, uh, 4,800 uh, passing yards, 48 touchdowns, seven interceptions, also has six rushing touchdowns. I mean, you go back to the last four games of last year, and include the 10 this year, he has been just remarkable. And so it's, to me, you know, we're going to hear a lot about sample size and, and this and that. This is a big enough sample size where I feel uh, pretty, uh, I feel pretty comfortable knowing what Joe, what Joe Burrow is as a quarterback, where he struggles a little bit, but also what he does really well. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I think that's, you mentioned the number one pick, um, I think this obviously has some Heisman fallout too. And we talked about that race mm -hmm. before on the show. I mean, is that over? I mean, Chase Young got suspended for a couple games. Two was out for the season now. I, I mean, there's maybe only you're one talking guy. Justin Fields, uh, yeah, maybe? And that's it. That's it. Justin Fields, to me, in my opinion, I, I mean, he's the only guy that can. I mean, Jalen Hurts, maybe he's on the, uh, you know, he's barely holding on. But to me, Justin Fields is the only guy that can really put a dent in that lead that Joe Burrow has. With Penn State coming up, with um, uh, Michigan after that, and then uh, Wisconsin or Minnesota uh, or whoever in the Big Ten championship game, um, you know, that's three big primetime games where a lot of eyes are going to be on Ohio State. If Justin Fields goes off in those three games, and let's say that Joe Burrow stumbles a little bit, um, down the stretch, uh, especially in the SEC title game, and especially if Georgia is able to upset LSU in the SEC title game, Justin Fields still has a shot. And now I think Burrow is the clear favorite where we are right now. But Justin Fields, to me, is the only one with a legit chance to make up the ground and overtake him with a little bit of help. Yeah, I mean, Justin Herbert, I guess, is the only other name I was going to throw out there. But I, I don't know that... It... 
I don't know that they've done enough or he's done enough to really jump into that conversation. And he's had a great year. He was really good again mm-hmm. this week. He's got 28 uh, touchdown passes and three interceptions. And, um, you know, we've talked about him as being maybe a top 10 pick in this draft, but I don't know that you can stack him up against what Joe Burrow's done and, or really what Justin Fields has done, uh, both with his arms and, and his legs and, and really put Justin Herbert above either of those guys. I think maybe he's, Maybe he gets the invite to New York as the third or fourth place guy, but I think, I, yeah, I mean, I think this is Joe Burrow's to lose at this point. Even if Fields goes off in the next three games, I think it's going to take a shaky week or two from Joe Burrow. And we, like you said, right. we saw like by his standards this season, this past Saturday was sort of shaky, and he put up, you know, they put up fifty-eight points, and he <laughs> threw uh, five touchdowns and four hundred eighty-nine yards. So, I mean, yeah. I think that that's. I think it's probably probably pretty much over at this point unless like you said the the pendulum sort of sort of shifts here in the last 2 3 weeks and Burrow really struggles and and Fields just torches you know three top 15 teams in a row. Right. Yeah, no I think that's that's really the only shot and I mean with what Joe Burrow has done uh, this season the last 14 games it is a far-fetched idea to think that he will stub his toe. Uh, significantly enough where he's going to uh, knock himself down that much. So it's really going to take uh, a, a big effort by Fields to get that done. So it's definitely a long shot. Um, you know, Joe Burrow, I think it's his to lose. Um, no question about that. And same thing with number one overall pick. It is Joe Burrow's to lose. I, I think that, you know, it's funny how, you know, Joe Burrow was kind of the underdog story. Um, and now he's going to be the guy we pick apart throughout the process because he is the clear favorite to be the first quarterback drafted. So now we're going to hear a lot about his average arm. We're going to hear a lot about how much, you know, he struggled, how his completion percentage is up 20 points from last year, how, you know, this, we're going to, he's going to be picked apart. Uh, now that two is not in the conversation. Uh, I think he's, you know, there's a gap between uh, where Burrow is and Herbert is. Uh, I like, I like Justin Herbert as a talent. I still have major questions about him as an NFL quarterback. Um, but my, I don't have nearly as many questions with uh, Joe Burrow, but it, it really will be interesting to see, does he accept a senior bowl invite? Um, and what does Jordan Love do? Does Herbert go to Mobile as well? So th- a lot of things are going to be uh, up in the air and it's it's going to be makes it for some interesting draft talk as we go through the process. And just real quick, I know we've talked about this before too, but I think we've got to give credit again to what LSU's wide receivers have done this year. I mean, that group has been outstanding all year. I think uh, oh, yeah. Justin Jefferson Smart. is maybe the only uh, maybe only one of the guys at the top of that list that are right. draft eligible, I think. But yes, uh, yes, uh, Jamar Chase. Yeah, he, unreal. He's only a true sophomore, but oh my gosh, that, that guy! I I feel like we always do this. We talk about how awesome next year's class is going to be. You know, we we <laughs> yeah. do it every year. We did it last year with this upcoming uh, with this twenty twenty wide receiver class, and it, you know, it's it, it was that worth was it. right. Just, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> last year's. Class they didn't have a wide receiver drafted in the top, you know, 24, 25 picks. This year, we're going to have quite a few first rounders. Um, I had 17 receivers in my top 100. It is, the ch- it is a chance to be historic wide receiver class. But even when you look towards next year, 
Rondale Moore at Purdue and uh, Jalen Waddell, Alabama, Justin Ross, Clemson. Uh, I love Chris Olave at uh, Ohio State, uh, Jamar Chase at LSU, Bateman at Minnesota. And that doesn't include maybe some surprise, you know, Sage Surratt, who's now out for the year. If he goes back to school, might have a, a one or two other surprises who maybe we thought would come out, go back to school. So, yeah, the next year's wide receivers class just looks uh, ridiculous. Uh, it, we'll see if it, how it stacks up to this 2020 group. We've talked about it. It's a great 2020 class, and we haven't even hit on it. I mean, there's just names up and down. We talked about Tyler Johnson last week. I mean, T. Higgins had a good week this week. Mm -hmm. Um, Chase Claypool, we've talked about before, had four touchdowns. Michael Pittman had another huge week. Um, I mean, does Justin Jefferson slot in there somewhere for you? I mean, is he a borderline top 100 guy, or is he further down the list? He barely made my top 100. Um, He was like in the 80 to 100 range. Um, It just... It's so hard when you have so many wide receivers. With Jefferson, I just I I do question how fast he is. Um, I love the physicality. Um, he he's kind of that big slot for LSU. He's really good on slants. Uh, uses his body well. Uh, he can break tackles over the middle of the field. And once he gets his stride going, he can pick up speed and uh, not the not the easiest guy to track down. But I do question how easily he'll be able to separate the next level. And that's why we're talking about him as more of a, a day two guy, um, you know, towards the back half of the top 100, not the first half. Um, but no, I mean, I think you're right. There's so many of these. I mean, Devontae Smith from Alabama is another one who is in my top 100, but how high do you put him? I mean, he's his frail frame bothers me. I mean, you just he's probably if he's lucky, 180 pounds, uh, just, you know, and he's close to six one probably. So he just doesn't have the body type that you look for, but he's so quick. He's so dynamic in his routes. He has uh, above average ball skills. Uh, so even Devontae Smith, who most believe, most would agree is the third Alabama receiver in the pecking order behind Ruggs and Judy. However, you have those two guys. He's all he's been doing is producing this year. And, you know, it's just at some point you just say, OK, yeah, the body type bothers me. But I mean, this guy can play and, uh, you know, it's it's going to be interesting to see where he ends up. Uh, you know, does he go? I imagine he'll go. I mean, somewhere in the second round, but you just never know with a talent like that. Yeah. And just on Jefferson, I mean, I don't think it's it's. uh necessarily a huge hit to him if you look at him and say he's not going to be a, a separation guy like even looking through the the nfl's next gen stats the lowest the guys with the least separation this year in the nfl it's names like it's like mike williams kenny galladay um julio jones is on here robbie mm-hmm. anderson like there's mike evans i mean there's guys who can win without creating a lot of separation if they're good with the you know good in the air if they're good with their body positioning good hands and i think you see a lot of that from jefferson to believe that uh you know i don't want to throw him in the mix with those guys those are some of the better receivers in the nfl but there's enough there i think to believe that he could be a guy who can excel even if he's not a 4-4 guy you know if he's if he's just sort of a average speed but really excels in those areas i think he can be one of those guys at the next level yeah no i agree and uh one other receiver I want to mention, um, C.D. Lamb was out this past week with a concussion, and it'll be. I'm hoping that we get to see him this upcoming Saturday because uh, Oklahoma going up against TCU. Jeff Gladney, uh, one of the better senior corners in this class, uh, would love to see that C.D. Lamb versus Gladney matchup. Um, I think that'd be a lot of fun. But hopefully, Lamb can just can get on the field and get cleared. Uh, so far, it, it seems like it's kind of up in the air at this point. 
Yeah, well, uh, that was one of the other games I had on the list for this week. Oklahoma's uh, definitely keeping people's attention in these primetime <laughs> games. Uh, the Baylor, a huge comeback. Um, it was, what, 31 to 10 at halftime. Uh, <laughs> Jalen Hurts, right, like you said, without CeeDee Lamb, without you know his best receiver, brings him back, and, and they win 34-31 uh, in regulation. Jalen Hurts, another guy we have to talk about with this quarterback class, and we have talked about. Um, we're pretty deep into the season here. I mean, is he still – is he one of those guys where the book's out on him? I guess you just know what the pros and cons are, or have you seen the types of development NFL teams might be looking for from him? In in Hurts? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, – I, me personally, I have major questions about him. Um I, you know, I think he's uh, – there's a lot of things he does well. Um, I, I love just the intangibles that he brings. I mean, that that's, I think, first and foremost what you love about him. Um, the competitive energy, the locked-in focus. Um, you know, just watching him throughout that game, uh, he never looked like he was pressing or, you know, even when uh, Oklahoma t- took the lead, uh, he didn't look like he was celebrating or, you know, it just – it looked like he was just business, you know, straight business and let's just get it done. Okay, let's when the defense uh, and they had that interception that sealed the win. Uh, he didn't he barely showed any emotion because he's just okay, let's let's just wait till there's triple zeros on the clock, then we can celebrate. Like he's just a very locked in, cool customer. And I think there's a lot of value in that, uh, talking about the quarterback position. But I also have major questions about uh his velocity, about his timing, about his decision making. Um, I think that you know, there, he still has a, a good chance to be a, a day two draft pick, but I think he's he's not going to be a quarterback quarterback on every draft board. I promise you that. There's some some teams that just won't be interested, um, and that they have not seen enough in terms of his development. Um, and there will be some teams that look at him as a quarterback, but won't consider him until the fourth, fifth, sixth round. So um, I, I think a lot will depend on how, what he does this offseason, um, Senior Bowl. Um, I think he's pretty much a lock to get an invite to the Senior Bowl. Uh, and then what he does at the Combine, what he does at the interview process, that will really tell a lot more. Um, you know, just you know, he's been in two offensive, uh, multiple offensive systems at this point, multiple at Alabama, now in Lincoln Riley's at Oklahoma. How will that, um, you know, where is he in his mental development? So the interview process at the combine will be big uh, just in terms of X's and O's, not necessarily, you know, maturity wise. I think there's no question about that, but just where he is mentally, that'll be a big part of the draft grade as well. So, um, you know, I, I kind of taken aback when I see him in first round mocks. I don't think that's realistic. Um, that's that's not how NFL teams view him. Or I, I should say I have yet to talk to um, an NFL contact who views him in that light. Um, it's more the other direction. Um, and this isn't like a Lamar Jackson situation where, you know, he's going to fall at the end of the first round. And th- there are major questions with Jalen Hurts and where he projects to the next level. So um, I, th- I think there's a good chance um, – you know, he can still wind up on day two, but it's going to take um, a lot of work this uh, offseason to show that he has made some of those strides that scouts have wanted to see. When you say uh, not every team will have him on the board as a quarterback, you mean they just don't want him to be a quarterback for them and they won't be interested in him? Or you think teams are going to see him? There's going to be some teams that look at him as a running back or a slot receiver or whatever the other options might be. Yeah, I think probably both. I mean, I think that um, some teams will just not be interested in that his style of play. Uh, you know, that's just he, he won't be for everybody. Um, and I, I don't think that's necessarily wrong. I mean, it's, you know, teams that pass Lamar Jackson because of they didn't 
really want his style of play. It's not like there are 32 teams kicking themselves. Like not everybody wants that style of quarter or take a risk on that that style of quarterback. You know, it's just it is a risk, and um, you know, it has everything to do with the you know opening themselves up to uh, getting hurt a lot more because of the way they use their legs. Um, and you know, I think with Jalen Hurts, there there are more questions about his physical ability than what we have with Lamar Jackson in terms of uh, you know making every throw, making drive throws. Um, it, some of the timing and decision making has been off for him, and so I, I do think now he can still change people's minds what he does at the Senior Bowl and things like that. But um, you know, I, there are some teams that just are will not be interested in him as a quarterback. Uh, another guy I wanted to mention coming out of this weekend because we talked about him uh, at the end of the last week's show. Uh, AJ Apinesa just blew up yeah. pretty much everyone he faced glad, this weekend glad you mentioned them, yeah. in that Iowa-Minnesota game. And I think one of the things that uh, we kind of touched on was just his ability to to maybe be a, a movable chip uh, at the next level. I think NFL teams will see him potentially as one of those guys you can slide inside. And he did some of that again this week and, and had a, a couple plays where – you know, they got him freed up on, over the center against a guard, and he was able to take advantage and make some something happen in the backfield. And just, uh, I mean, he was great. It was a really impressive performance from him. And and, and what's been a, a season that I think we talked about maybe hasn't been quite up to par statistically. But, you know, you see a day like that, you see the impact he's made just sort of over the long haul as a player at Iowa. And you can understand why there's interest in him as uh, – I mean, probably a top 20 guy, if not higher than that. Yeah, no, I think so. Um, and we talked about him. We kind of touched on his uh, draft stock in our last show, um, just talking about how he hasn't necessarily lived up to it, but he's still a, a very, uh, you know, quality player because he's so strong. His hands plays with so much violence uh, in what he does. Um, two and a half sacks, one forced fumble against Minnesota, but I don't, it, I was surprised that his stats were were that low, to be honest with you, because anybody watching <laughs> yeah. that game, I mean, he was a problem for that left tackle uh, consistently. And it just he he really did a nice job uh, detaching. You rarely saw him hung up. Uh, he found a way to get free. Um, and that's just a product of his hands, of his power. Um, he's very disruptive in many different ways. I, he just he needs to be a little bit quicker with some of his. Uh, with some of his rush moves, um, but you know he showed that he has the power and the projectable skill set that is going to get him drafted pretty high. And you know, it could be, I mean, who's going to be the second edge rusher drafted um, after Chase Young? Um, is it going to be? I mean, I think Epinesa is probably the favorite, um, especially with you talk about Julian Aquara has not did not have a great senior year before his injury. Um, you know, I don't I think some of these other you look at the senior class, guys like Daryl Taylor, um, you know, we don't have like a Josh Allen this year and this year's senior class, um, you know, a, a senior who really, you know, put himself in the first round mix um, based off of what he did as a senior, as a pass rusher, as you know, you're looking at the underclassmen, I, Terrell Lewis has a shot if he's healthy, but the medicals are going to be an issue there. Um Yeter Gross-Matos from Penn State. I think there's a lot of ability there, but I I feel better about Epinesa as a pass rusher at this point. So I, I do think that Epinesa still has a strong chance to be that next pass rusher drafted after Young. Um, I mentioned Herbert had a really nice game. We had the Georgia 
uh, 21-14 held on against Auburn there. I feel like I need to mention, just because we kind of clobbered him a couple times, uh, Shea Patterson might be back in the Senior Bowl mix if he fell out of it earlier. He's been really good the last few weeks here. Um, ever since the everyone's kind of pointed to the second half of that Penn State game, really played well again. Uh, Michigan State's not stopping anyone at all. Like uh, Rutgers might hang with them a little bit this week, but uh, he, I think Shea Patterson's been good. I feel like I need to mention him both as – as you've pointed out, as someone who uh, went to Michigan, but also as, as <laughs> someone who said that he hasn't developed really at all uh, yeah. on earlier shows, because I think there has been some of that. I think you're seeing a little bit more of that development that we kind of been waiting for. So I feel like I needed to mention that one. But if uh, I get like I said, there were some other games here. So uh, as you usually do, kind of toss it out and uh, let you take this wherever you want here. <laughs> well, you know, I think I mean, how much do you think the emergence of the run game um, the improvements on the offensive line have contributed to Patterson playing with more consistency, uh, making fewer mistakes. Um, I, I feel like that's been a big part of it because it seems like Michigan's run game has definitely been uh, a much more impactful part of their offense compared to earlier in the year. And I think the offensive line is part of that as well. Yeah, no question. And they've got a couple guys up there that probably will end up in the NFL in the not too near future. Um, or not too distant future, but yeah, I mean, I think that that's part of it. I think that just the play calling in general, like they're, they're way more wide open, I think with everything right now. And you're seeing them take advantage. we talked earlier about how they have these three, uh, maybe four guys who could be drafted in the NFL in the next couple of years here in uh people's Jones, Nico Collins, Tariq black, and now Ronnie Bell's having a great mm-hmm. year for them too. They've got four guys there that, you know, it feels like you should be throwing 40 times a game, and they weren't really doing that earlier in the year. And now uh, you're seeing a lot more of them taking advantage of that. So, obviously, I think that all plays into it. Um, I mean, I do think Patterson looks more, whether it's just settling into the offense, whether it's because the run game's taking the pressure off it, I think he does look more comfortable. I think the decision-making has been better. Um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you he's a – first round pick but I think if we're talking about the, the cut line where we had him was sort of does he get a senior bowl invite or does he not get a senior bowl invite and Brian Lewerke on the other sideline was a guy who I think a lot of people expected or maybe still expect to get a senior bowl invite I mean I think Patterson's at least got to be on the table for uh mm-hmm. for Jim Nagy and the people making those decisions down there for the senior bowl yeah no I agree I, Patterson looked like the better quarterback um and Lewerke just I don't know. It seems like he's uh, he he played well as a sophomore. Took a big step back last year. Has shown some improvements this year. Has looked kind of somewhere in between his junior and sophomore year. Um, I if I would rather take a chance on Patterson to be honest, just because hopefully there is more there that you know he just has yet to play his best football, and you can get that more out of him. Um, it will be interesting. I don't think we we have not seen a quarterback accept his invite yet to the Senior Bowl, oh, yeah. which is interesting. No. Um, I think obviously, uh, you know, we've touched on it before, but I think there are three locks: uh, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Jalen Hurts. Those three quarterbacks absolutely will receive their invitation. Now, whether they accept is a a different story. Um, I, you know, I think they should um, just because of, uh, you know, even though Joe Burrow is considered the favorite, I think he has a lot to gain from being down there, um, erasing some of the doubts. Um, Justin Herbert absolutely should be there uh, if he wants to, uh, you know, put himself in that top 10 mix and ensure that he should be ahead of a guy like Jordan Love or Jacob Eason or whoever. Um 
and after that, after those three guys, then that's where it gets a little, a little up in the air. I think Nate Stanley from Iowa is going to get an invite. We saw him against Minnesota. He looked, he had a really good game. Um, I think Anthony Gordon from Washington State should receive an invite. Um, I think that's and that's a t- perfect type of place where you want to uh, evaluate uh, someone from Leach's scheme, kind of like Minshew last year. Get Anthony Gordon in an All Star game like this, where he's going to be compared to the rest of these quarterbacks. He's going to be put in situations that maybe he didn't always see in college. And so just a better way to evaluate him. Um, so that's five guys right there. And then I think there's, uh, you know, maybe the next four guys, um, they take three of them. And that's Steven Montez out of Colorado, James Morgan from FIU, Shea Patterson and Brian Lewerke. So I, I think maybe, th- and that doesn't include Jordan Love, who uh, if he does declare should be at the senior bowl. Um, so maybe it's only two of those last four guys that I mentioned. Um, so it could be pretty interesting here um, when we see who accepts, who doesn't, and then who gets some of those final quarterback hit. But and that's assuming they invite eight guys. They have the last two years. Um, so the final year when Phil Savage was there, then last year, the first year for Jim Nagy, I assume they'll do the same this year, but we'll have to see. And we did want to swing over to the NFL a little bit because there was a guy there that uh, <laughs> Max Crosby blew up for the Raiders this week at four sacks. He's had a really good rookie year for them. Um he was always a guy. I mean, he's someone that I got a little bit of a better look at because he played over here uh, at Eastern Michigan. I wrote about him, uh, wrote a story about him, headed into the combine for the athletic. Um, got to you know, got to talk to his coaches there at Eastern. Got to talk to his mom a little bit. Um, just his story is pretty cool. He, he didn't have a scholarship offer um, late in his high school career. He, his mom drove him up for Eastern Michigan, you know, camp one summer. They got an offer while he was there. That's. That was the only one he had. That's where he played, and he was a really good player for them. And then kind of – I don't want to say he slid a little bit in the draft, but certainly the way he's playing now, you could have justified taking him earlier than he went. Um, I guess, guess what's your what were your thoughts on him headed into the draft, and are you surprised that he's making this kind of impact? Uh, I'm a little surprised he's having such a quick impact. I, I thought he was – I think the best way to put it is and – and I tweeted this out – you always bet on pass rushers who are productive in college, who have the athletic traits, who have the projectable body, and then also have the motor. If you have those four things, yeah, I'm going to bet on you every day of the week. And, you know, I gave him, I think, uh, early third round grade. I think he was like um, he was like 70 overall or something like that on my final top 100 board. Um, so, you know, I wasn't sky high, super high on him, um, you know, first round pick. But I thought he was uh, worthy of somewhere in that you know middle of the day two discussion, and he fell out of day two and was one of the first picks on day three. So I, I think he did fall, um, and the Raiders got themselves a steal because again, when you have a guy who is super hungry, um, you know has needs to work on a few things, uh, you know setting up his pass rush and uh, things like that. But he ran really with the combine, tested off the charts. Um, he was super productive in college, uh, the last two years, I mean, he had like 40 some tackles for a loss. Uh, it just, he was consistently a force in the Mac. So I mean, he's a guy that that's the type of guy you, you take a chance on. And so I was surprised he fell into the, into day three, but that's, uh, to the, to the Raiders gain because they were able to get a steal and I mean, four sacks yesterday. That's, uh, <laughs> I, 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 you know, I did not expect that as a rookie, but, um, you know, I, I thought we wouldn't see him making this type of impact until year two. But, you know, good on him. He's making the most of his opportunity and good on the Raiders because they're having, uh, they're getting some nice return on value uh, with their draft class so far. And, uh, yeah. you know, he's a big part of that. 
Yeah, that draft class has been really good for them. And I mean, I think to your point, he probably is still, there's certainly room to continue developing it. I mean, mm-hmm. just to go back to that story I wrote on him, he was, he didn't play defensive end until senior year of high school. He was a middle linebacker at like 6'5", 200 pounds until then <laughs> and moved over and was really you know, redshirted his first year at Eastern so he could put some weight on. And uh, so I still think there probably is some development going on there. But in terms of uh, personality and team fit. I, I don't know if the Raiders will carry the same, you know, sort of reputation when they're the Las Vegas Raiders, but with the <laughs> black hole and in Oakland there, like that's the way he plays the game and sort of the way he is on and off the field, like just, a, you know, bordering on a little bit crazy. Like that's <laughs> sort of fits exactly with what they've always kind of been built on there, what the reputation is there at least. So um, team to player fit, it's obviously worked out on the field and I think it made a lot of sense off the field too. Yeah, no, and, and just to, to clarify, not like Vontae's perfect crazy, but like just, right, right, yeah, right, like, yeah. It, because he does have really high full, and that's I think that when you look at the Raiders draft class, football character was very high on their must have list, and that's very peak Mike Mayock. Um, you look at you know Cleveland Farrell, I think has not worked out so far. He has not played like a top five pick. Josh Allen has outplayed him. No, no question about that. Brian Burns, the next two pass rushers, have outplayed um, him. But, you know, I think you look at Jonathan Abram. Um, you look at Hunter Renfro. Um, you, you look at Josh Jacobs. You know, these are all guys where football is important to them. And so the football character uh, really off the charts with all those guys that they drafted. And so just people keep that in mind when you're doing your mock drafts uh, for the Raiders um, in the coming years because uh, that's 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 going to be important to them uh making sure they got find guys with passion that play with energy and that just check the boxes in terms of the intangibles and football character yeah for sure and that's uh yeah i'm glad you clarified that i mean i think that was more what i meant that that's, that's just a guy who football means everything to him and you can see it just the the you mentioned the motor like once he gets on the field he's just out working guys most right. of the time and, and i think you uh, are seeing the effects of that early on and you kind of bring up an interesting discussion that maybe we can circle back on as we get closer to the draft because I think a lot of time we do these mocks and try to fit these players to team and you're just looking at you know where's their hole in the roster and where's maybe the scheme fit and we kind of overlook that a lot of these GMs kind of tip their hand a bit based on what they're looking for character wise or like what schools they prefer and there's all these little things that go into the discussion that sometimes fly under the radar so maybe that's one to file away for uh for later as we get closer because it's all it's a hard thing to pin down sometimes oh absolutely and yeah you have to it's more than just position fit it's more than just okay well you know the fourth best quarter or fourth best linebacker went here so they need a linebacker so the fifth best linebacker goes here and you know it's uh, it's it is kind of fun i mean that, that that's the fun of doing mock drafts and trying to connect the dots and you know you're not doing it blindly you have to put a lot of work into it to make sure you're uh, you know it makes sense with what the coaching staff wants to do with the track record of the gm with you know schematically f- uh, speaking i mean there's so uh, so many uh, different things i mean cuz when you look at it a lot of teams their draft board their final draft board is like you know 175 names you know it's not like you know, my draft guide, there's uh, over 350 or 400 reports. And so it's a lot, there's a lot of guys that have a shot at getting drafted, but a lot of teams don't have even half that number of players on their board because 
maybe they're missing one of the criteria that they're looking for. And that might be football character. That might be personal character. That might be top level athleticism. That might be just, you know, might not be a scheme fit with what they're looking for. So yeah, so many layers that go into it. And um, I imagine that's something that will come up uh, on this podcast quite a bit, especially once we turn the page to January, February, and, you know, we we're uh, in that part of the draft process. Well, uh, since you mentioned the draft guide, uh, subscribers to The Athletic get access to that. So if you're not a subscriber yet, uh, for free. A, yeah, that's a nice little bonus uh, in April. It's always, I mean, for my money, uh, not just because he's uh, on the podcast here along with me <laughs> and works with me, but that's always been the my favorite uh, draft guide. And it's really incredible the amount of detail there. And that's, uh, like I said, that's an April little bonus you get on top of your subscription as well as our Thursday subscriber-only shows and access to all the other uh, athletic podcasts and everything on theathletic.com. So get over to theathletic.com slash prospects to pros if you still need a subscription. Thanks to all of you who have subscribed already and to everyone who is listening to this show. Uh, so we're sort of ramping up to the end of the season here. We got uh, about a month, not even, are we even a month away from bowl games? I mean, it might be less than a month yeah. from bowl yeah. games. We're right, right there. about a month, uh, yeah. So uh, we got a lot coming up here in the next few weeks. I hope you stick uh, with us as we go through it all. So for uh, Dane Brugler and Kent Garrison, thanks for listening, and we'll be back on Thursday. <laughs>